Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton, and just before we get started today, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by First Look. First Look is a customized crisis simulation exercise service by PreparedX. We design it, you deliver it. See more details at preparedx.com slash first look. Well, today I'm super excited. I'm joined by William Dunn, who is a lead expert on crisis management and emergency services at Penn State Health. Welcome, William. Thanks, Rob. Really appreciate you having me today. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, I'm glad uh, we could finally get this going, and uh, we've been talking about it for a few weeks at least. So, uh, thanks for coming along uh, for the uh, uh, for the session today, um, episode 112. So uh, we're getting up there in terms of uh, you know uh, episodes. So um, thanks for for being part of this. Um, before we do get started, though, William, um, for our viewers and our listeners, can you just let them know a little bit about your career so far? Yes. Um, so my career actually started um, about 30 years ago um, during college, got very involved in EMS and fire service um, and was fortunate enough to uh, get a bachelor's degree and master's degree at University of Maryland, Baltimore County in emergency health services. Um, and through that time, really learned a lot about not only emergency medical services, but uh, leadership, um, education, uh, research and had the opportunity to do some research on um, uh, crisis management and disaster response uh, at the National Study Center for Trauma and EMS. So um, had some really great mentors and, and learned a lot and left there and uh, went on to a uh, be a chief of an EMS system in Connecticut and then went out to Los Angeles for, for 22 years, uh, worked as the program director of the paramedic school at UCLA, uh, David Geffen School of Medicine. Um, and which was formerly the Daniel Freeman program, um, which was the first nationally accredited program in the United States for paramedic program. So very fortunate to be a part of uh, such a legacy there. Um, and then uh, moved into the health system side um, in emergency management and safety and security. Um, so I spent 14 years at UCLA Health, um, which is a very large academic health system. A lot of uh, diverse types of challenges when you talk about uh, emergencies and crisis and uh, different populations and, and types of hazards that exist in, in the area. And a little over a year ago now, moved to Penn State Health um, and oversee kind of emergency management and business continuity and emerging infectious disease preparedness. That's great. Yeah, I know when we initially spoke, uh, we spoke about uh, the COVID days um, in the last two to three years and uh, your experience with that. Well, this is great. I'd like to start off, though, by just, you know, you know putting some framework together around the importance of crisis management, specifically as it, hel- you know, as it relates to, you know, your sector, the healthcare sector. Hey, well, I, I think one of the biggest things about healthcare um, uh, crisis management is that we are a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year process, and that the community is relying on us to be mission-ready, mission-competent, um, and lean forward even more, expand our mission capabilities when there is crisis. So I think um, from a continuity perspective, <clears throat> um, crisis management, understanding not only the day-to-day operations, 
um, and then how we can leverage when there is a challenge either internally to the organization or externally to the organization. You know, um, looking at uh, the campus here at Penn State is about 550 acres. It's like its own little city. Yeah. 19,000 people every day um, just on the faculty, staff, and student side, <clears throat> and hundreds and thousands of patients that come through here. So <clears throat> realizing that we have to make sure that the lights stay on, all of the yeah. <laughs> facilities, IT systems, communication systems, um, dealing with all of the other types of risks that exist in many other organizations and cities, fires, floods, security issues, all those kind of things. And at the same time, having to maintain that focus of taking care of um, over 600 patients and in, 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 in inpatient beds today, as well as their family and loved ones. So um, that is a big is a big lift. And then looking at the community when there are challenges um, in central Pennsylvania or beyond, uh, being able to expand capacity, whether we talk about the pandemic um, and really expanding capacity to meet the need of very sick uh, individuals, or we have a mass casualty incident or yep. something else that exists. So um, really looking at how can we be flexible and at the same time continue on our day-to-day -day mission, sure. really providing yeah. world-class healthcare and at the same time um, dealing with those other challenges. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Really, really uh, impressive operation. And and just for our listeners and and those viewing, uh, there, that wasn't a prop in the background. It was a uh, you know sirens going on in the background there. William is on the job, so to speak. So, uh, so again, pre appreciate that. That's a great uh, great background there. And again, imp impressive operation. Uh, and the fact that you can support the community and uh, and probably run through those drills on and exercises. And we'll come on to that on on how you support those, uh, mm -hmm. or at least try and plan for those as best you can. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. We, we well going into going into planning then let's you know let's talk about planning in terms of your experience uh, with regards to plans and training um you know what's your experience with that as it relates to both you know the management teams those you know you know obviously have responsibility for decision making but also for team members who are who are out on the ground so to speak yeah so i i think one of the um really important things around planning uh, not just in healthcare organizations but many organizations is that um, in addition to those day-to-day -day things, there's lots of competing priorities. And so I think um, in emergency management and business continuity, it's figuring out how to instill that planning process and create value at the same time. Create the value not just for the crisis, but create the value for the everyday. Um, sometimes that is things like um, paying attention to what else is going on. Sure. The more that we, and the more and, and more effectively we understand what the day to day processes are, what normal looks like, I think the more effective we can be when the abnormal thing happens sure. and try to pivot and understand who can help us uh, develop alternate strategies to keep meeting the needs. Um, so I, I think immersing yourself in um, the day to day operations. Um, to try and create that value. I think the second thing is uh, being a conduit for relationship building. Um, I can't tell you how many times I get a phone call that says, Bill, I know that this isn't your job. I know that this is your responsibility, 
but I need a sounding board and can you help? And you spend 15 minutes on the phone um, and you hear this person out and then you connect them with someone else in your organization or outside your organization that maybe has gone through something similar or maybe can help them because they own that. They have that responsibility. Um, And I think when we do that as emergency management professionals, um, it really goes a long way. And then within those competing priorities, then we get that agency. We get that um, uh, sort of uh, time to pick people's brains, develop plans, talk to them about different hazards and how they impact them. You know, what's the value proposition for them sure. as a member of a particular department or a particular area of the organization? How do they fit in? How can they be empowered and own that um, and feel like they are being heard and that they are important, that they're an important piece of everything that we do? Um, so I think, uh, you know, globally on the planning side, it's really engaging all of those uh, fellow team members getting their perspective, getting them to be, feel empowered and bring things up, getting them to the table, even sure. again, when there's lots of competing priorities. Yeah, for sure. I love that. That relationship building is critical and, and uh, it's about trust, right? So, so <clears throat> you know, when you need to work together, it may be in the future, it may not be now, but, you know, it, it's about, you know, having that, um, you know, that notion that um, you've been there before, uh, you've, you've had a conversation, you've built on the relationship and you're comfortable um, in, you know, knowing that you're going to take care of your role and whoever your partners are are going to de- take care of their roles because, you you know, you've developed that trust. Right. Great. We definitely, I think, also learn people's capabilities. Sure. Like those leaders that may not necessarily be the formal leaders, um, but have skill sets that are very transferable in many different types of crisis that can step up to the plate, can assist you in a process, even though it may not be their normal day to day job. Sure. Okay. I'd like to shift gears a little bit. I know, um, you know, COVID, of course, you know, we have the new variant uh, hovering around. Um, lots in the news again about that, certainly, you know, overseas as well. Um, you know, we've got some news around China and, and their struggles around uh, the new variant. Um, in your experience, though, in recent years, especially the impacts on the, you know, emergency responders in the healthcare space, um, what, what are the biggest three lessons that have come out of that in, in, your, in your experience from responding to uh, COVID? Um, I think the first is <clears throat> really understanding that uh, component of mission continuity. I think um, a lot of times we really focus on the sexiness of um, the hurricane, the earthquake, the fire, the flood, the mass casualty incident, the active shooter. But I think <clears throat> in many cases, figuring out how to commit to the day-to-day operation, sure. how to sustain that. Uh, really think through and plan and develop uh, that component when you have less staffing, when you have less supplies, when you have less, uh, you know, infrastructure to support the needs of the overall population. So I think, um, you know, really spending and focusing more time on, again, that that mission continuity construct, I think, uh, really benefited the organizations that I've worked in, um, where I think many other organizations struggled with that, uh, that, that hadn't thought through some of these uh, types of concerns and, and really looking at it from an all hazard perspective, um, not just the big pandemic, but, you know, you have an internal fire and now all of a sudden you don't have that space, you don't have that equipment, you don't have that supply. Sure. 
what are those opportunities? Um, I think the second thing is really understanding uh, how vulnerable we are related to supply chain. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. No. So, you know, I, I think uh, there's been a leaning of uh, supplies and equipment um, around the world, uh, not just in healthcare organizations, but certainly around the world, and looking at when we need to either maintain a supply, you know, steady state, or increase it where the challenges exist. And, and certainly in a crisis like the pandemic, where we saw significant disruptions in workforce ability to even be working, mm -hmm. uh, raw material transport, uh, availability, um, shipping, sure. um, you know, we can go over and over and over. And, and again, this isn't unique to the pandemic. We saw this in, in many other uh, disasters, global disasters. But I think um, seeing the reliance and vulnerability that we have um, in, in, I think, just about every critical infrastructure sector has really been an eye-opening experience. Sure. Um, I think the third thing that I would say is that um, we, we need to we need to engage our team members about mental health more. Um, we've yep. seen this a lot, and I think the pandemic truly exposed that, um, where we had that opportunity uh, to look at how challenged uh, all of the different factors were engaging uh, our workforce. So if you think about in healthcare, not only did healthcare employees have to come to work and be concerned about taking care of patients that were really sick that they may or may not know a lot about. Um, they also had to worry about themselves getting infected. They had to worry about their spouses or significant others that may have had uh, layoffs in their work environment. Um, they may have to keep their children at home and may not have a lot of support in order to do that. Um, and then uh, worrying about the health of their family and friends and community members. So I think it really brought about that component of um, how do we holistically try and encourage our workforce to uh, focus on self-care, uh, taking care of what they need uh, so they can be really present in their mission space. Yeah, love love those three points. Um, you got me thinking on the second one there, the supply chain one. <clears throat> We're designing a scenario right now um, for um, a, a client of ours, and uh, they're in the healthcare sector, and um, they, um, you know, um, they, they want to look at it's one of those services that they get externally, um, you know, and uh, there's only two providers of this particular service, and so I, I know they're having challenges around what to do, and so you know, business continuity obviously comes into play there as well. So, so great points there. Um, I want to move on, and uh, I, I know you're struggling with the video there, uh, Bill. So don't worry too much. As long as we can get the keep the audio moving, I think we should be okay. Um, I, I um, I'd like to touch on the communication aspect now. I, I know you. Um, there's a great photograph of you on your profile page on, on LinkedIn with you briefing what looks like to be a, a press brief uh, based on a situation that's going on. Very very impressive photograph. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit um, about your experience with regards to briefing the media? And those types of uh, communication challenges that uh, you know um, folks are often faced with, both in the healthcare sector, but uh, in general as it relates to uh, you know dealing with crises. Absolutely, um, crisis communication is one of those things that that I'm really passionate about and have tried to 
look to mentors and experts in the field for a long time. And I think, um, you know, there, there are obviously very different types of crisis communication, things that we're looking to immediately provide uh, information and context, uh, warning messages, timely notification, um, and directing our communities to do something um, in order to preserve life and safety issues. I think then there's also the follow-ons, you know, those, those formal press briefings where we have the opportunity to describe to our communities and our stakeholders, what were those challenges? <clears throat> what did we face? Um, how did we face them? And I think some of the really key things that I've learned in, in doing this for a while, I think are those um, sort of tenets that we, we sometimes forget, that we really need to be honest what do we know and what do we not know? Right. Um, I think it's easy to get into the game of um, trying to be confident, but not be arrogant in our approach. Right. And also starting to speculate because of we think we know what's going to go next. Right. Um, so I think that's that one of those components is being very upfront about what we know, what we don't. Um, and I think having some humility in that process. You know, uh, we are looked to by our community members to uh, be, again, have that confidence that we're going to get through this. We're going to move forward. Everything's going to be okay. But also recognizing the impacts of whatever this challenge, whatever this crisis, whatever this emergency is, and ensuring that people understand that we, we get that. Um, that we have that, uh, we have that empathy, we have that sympathy, um, engaging in that process that this has affected, um, lots of people, even that we may not know, um, in ways that we may not know and we may not understand. So I think those are, are some of the real tenets. And, um, I think the other piece is, uh, exploring what the challenges are, maybe why you don't know something right away. Right. Maybe that you, um, again, want to provide that information, but don't want to provide inaccurate information. Sure. Um, looking at where those opportunities are to uh, re-engage people at a later time so that you can provide those updates, that you can provide the really good context of truly what happened. Because as we all know, early on in many emergencies, there's lots of speculation, there's sure. lots of unknowns, there's lots of misinformation. And I think, again, being upfront, honest um, is, is really the best approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like best practice there uh, in terms of what uh, what you do and, and your experience. And the, the corporate folks, um, you know, uh, from our experience as well, that's that balance and that struggle in, in terms of what to say and when to say it and, and the different stakeholder groups that they have to coordinate with. So um, sounds like uh, it's very sim similar in the uh, healthcare space there. I do want to move on um, to um, what your your concerns about or, or, or are for, for the coming year here. We're just, uh, you know, January here as we're recording this session, uh, this episode, uh, what are the risks that you're most concerned about, uh, uh, William, going into 2023? Well, I think um, I'll talk to a couple of different um, uh, components, some that are unique to healthcare and some that are, are more broad. Um, the first one within healthcare, I think, is um, the workforce challenges. So we continue to uh, have challenges with staffing, 
Um, there are many uh, healthcare professionals and support professionals that have retired early, that have left um, because of the strain of the pandemic. So really in reinvigorating uh, the, the depth and complexity of our workforce. And in the meantime, how do we sustain that? Um, if you look globally around the world right now, um, there have been recent <clears throat> strikes of personnel in the National Health Service in, uh, in Britain um, for paramedics uh, in the pre-hospital setting as yep. well as nurses. Um, if you look at New York City, they just got through a, a nursing strike there. Um, and a lot of that was focused on staffing challenges. So how do we sustain? How do we continue on with the mission yet <clears throat> continue to deal with some of the challenges of an ongoing pandemic or new risks that exist, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, the fires, the floods, all those things that continue to stretch our resilience and stretch our abilities to maintain continuity. Uh, I think the second thing that um, we've certainly been focused on a lot in healthcare, but I think is much more broad to just about every uh, critical infrastructure sector is cybersecurity. Um, we've seen uh, tremendous increases over the last few years related to ransomware, related to data breaches within the healthcare sector. Um, and many organizations that have gone through this have been hamstrung in their ability to continue with that mission. Um, if you if you look at the reliance on IT systems and IT processes now in many, many sectors, uh, we, we have built so many efficiencies. We've built so many safety factors. We've built so much redundancy into those processes by leveraging uh, IT uh, that when that is not available, that creates significant challenges in continuing to deliver that mission space. So um, really focusing on one, how do we try and prevent that hazard from ever uh, bubbling up? But recognizing that even with the best prevention opportunities, uh, that we may experience those issues. And I think learning from others um, and trying to build that resilience. Uh, what are our processes when we we have outages, when we have uh, disabled functionality? So that again, we can continue on with that mission. I think the third thing um, really is uh, where are those opportunities to ensure that as our society continues to move forward and there are so many stressors, mm -hmm. how do we maintain the focus of preparedness? How do we maintain the focus of planning and response and mitigation? As I mentioned before, there's so many competing priorities, so many right. stressors that exist. How do we make sure that there's continued value um, in our communities and our organizations uh, to maintain some level of focus on looking forward, uh, trying to buy down risk uh, as we can. Yeah, yeah, we seem to be in reactive mode on a on a day to day basis, and and, and trying to find time for the preparedness piece uh, seems to be uh, waning or goes through these waves at least uh, in terms of uh, preparedness. But I think that moves us on nicely, though, um, uh, William, into the next uh, question. And of course, everything here at PreparedX that we do is uh, focused around uh, exercises. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and the importance uh, you know that uh, you find in running exercises managing exercises and of course being part of that uh, within the healthcare sector absolutely um I, I think one of the things around exercising and, and training is that 
you truly get to understand what your level of preparedness and buy-in and capabilities are. Uh, sometimes we go through the planning process and we make many, many assumptions, not only about ourselves, but about others and external partners as well. Um, I can give you an example. Um, uh, many years ago, I was uh, working related to earthquake preparedness and, uh, you know, the communities that I was working in were saying, okay, well, you know, 911 is just going to be there and we're going to get lots of EMS uh, engagement and they're going to bring lots of patients to the hospital. Um, and in reality, when you went out and talked to the EMS systems and you went out and talked to the fire departments, that wasn't their plan at all. <laughs> right. Their plan was, hey, look, we have uh, a responsibility to the community to do surveys in our community first to make sure that our teams are safe first. And then we're going to set up casualty collection uh, uh, units within our local fire stations, within our local EMS stations. And that's where we're going to start providing care to the community because we may not be able to keep up with the volume of 911 calls. 911 system may be down completely. So again, um, diving into those processes uh, especially with all of the stakeholders involved, you really figure out much more about the capabilities of each other, um, where those strengths may lie, where those opportunities may exist for more collaboration, better understanding. Um, and I think we also sometimes, um, especially in organizations that deal with underlying crisis a lot, um, and that oh. includes healthcare. Yeah. Um, we get a little overconfident sometimes. Um, we, we say, hey, you know what? We're smart. We're talented. Um, we'll figure it out. But if we don't take the time, even small snippets of time, to think through some of those uh, scenarios, some of those hazards, some of those risks, um, and really communicate what the plan would be, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the plan on paper, and then what would we do in real life? Um, and in turn, what would we expect from others to support that direction? Um, and very quickly, we find out that maybe we shouldn't be as confident as we are. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's a real advantage of um, uh, exercising. Um, you really figure out where the rubber meets the road and, and truly some of the nuances right. that we truly don't expect um, related to some of the risks and hazards. And um, it, it's simple things, right? Uh, things like if we have an electric failure and I have in, in our research environment a, a negative 80 degree Fahrenheit freezer that is containing stem cell lines. Right. Um, yeah, okay, we have a backup freezer that's two buildings away. But how do you get it there? Right. How do you get it from point A to point B? So even those tiny little details that sometimes we take for granted can be devastating sure. when we things come through. Yeah, especially in the healthcare space, for sure. I mean, you think about some of the scenarios in terms of having just having to evacuate, um, you know, an ER space, right? Um, it's just I can't imagine um, the, the level of preparedness that uh, that goes into that, and uh, and I'm sure that happens, right? There's scenarios that uh, you know, I'm just the, all the floodings we've had recently in California. I'm sure there's been healthcare centers and um, doctors' offices, and you know, even hospitals that uh, have uh, have you know had to go through that for real right so mm -hmm. practicing obviously mm -hmm. brings that home mm -hmm.
Um, I'd love to end. This has been great, uh, by the way. I, I appreciate you again coming coming on the episode here and uh, and talking to us uh, on the show. Uh, we always like to end with some stories, though, um, William. And uh, you know, any stories from exercises that uh, you can remember from uh, from your career? Uh, you know, they can be a good and a bad one, a good, bad, and ugly. However, you want to lay them out, um, we'd appreciate a couple of stories to finish us off here. Great. Yeah, I think the, the first one that I um, would say that was a bit of a challenge. So I had started a new position and uh, there when I got there, uh, my boss changed immediately within the first week of me arriving. And my new boss said, hey, in five weeks, we have a full scale exercise. We haven't started planning for this. <laughs> and by the way, this is you know the first test of your job. Oh. Uh, in addition to getting to learn the organization, and you're going to do this in front of our executive team. Oh. So um, very yeah. quickly uh, tried to learn the organization, very quickly tried to um, engage uh, stakeholders to say, yep. okay, what have we done in the past? Where are those opportunities? What, uh, what objectives do we really want to focus on? Do we really want to test? Um, so I spent hours and hours and hours and days, you know, seven days a week trying to get things up to speed and, and create some framework for an exercise. Um, and then the day came and uh, was sitting there facilitating the uh, uh, emergency operations center component of it while other team members were facilitating pieces out in the rest of the organization. And all of the executives, of course, are there that I, I, I know very little um, and we get about 40 minutes into the scenario and all of a sudden a real event occurs oh. um, and they just, you know, stopped and said, okay, we need to focus on something else. Hey, Bill, what are we supposed to do now? And um, again, the, those components that you have to be able to pivot and move forward and, um, you know, do the best that you can uh, in the circumstances. So that was certainly one, um, one experience that I won't forget. Um, I think from the real positive uh, side, um, one of the big challenges that, and I think concerns that come up in healthcare are uh, active assailant situations. Yep. Um, we've seen healthcare uh, violence increase over the last 10 years specifically. Um, and so uh, set up a scenario to work with um, local police departments um, and our healthcare teams um, and we found a vacated portion of a building, uh, something that was under rehabilitation to reopen in another function. So um, we set that space up to have some clinical uh, areas, some um, administrative areas, some research areas, um, and then invited our team members to come in and participate in active assailant um, scenarios. So we did a briefing with them first to teach them what what were the basic uh, you know response components, how to mm -hmm. keep themselves safe, what to think through. Um, then we did some psychological screening with them to make sure that they were um, prepared uh, to deal with the the focus of this particular exercise. Yep. Um, and then we staged them. Uh, we provide them with personal protective equipment, staged them. And then our police departments provided us an active assailant um, with some munitions. Um, so everybody knew what was coming um, and we really blunted the psychological impact of that. Um, and we put up video cameras in the hallway so that participants that were waiting to, to go through the next scenario could see what was happening. Right. And we could replay that back to the, the participants. Yeah. Um, 
And then uh, we allow that scenario to unfold, um, the basic run, hide, fight component of things. Yep. Um, and then having law enforcement come in again with some munitions um, and neutralize the threat. And uh, the feedback from that exercise and seeing uh, the level of acknowledgement and the level of learning and the level, I think, of empowerment yeah. uh, from an individual perspective um, was really uh, powerful. I think that, uh, again, trying to create simulations in a safe space um, and dealing with, again, the psychological consequences sometimes, as well as, uh, again, the physical consequences, but really putting people in an environment to succeed, um, to have a high fidelity simulation, I think is, uh, is one of those things that I look back at as, you know, that was a really gratifying experience. Yeah, I, I love that as well. That, did that become a model? Because that sounds to me like a, a great model that would be, you know, continually used. Or, or was it a, a big ticket item? Did it take a lot of effort with all the video recording um, and the pre-work? Um, because it sounds to me that uh, that would make a lot of sense for that to be kind of a, a great framework for the institution, wherever you were at. Yeah, we actually repeated that particular uh, um set of exercises so as we had space available um, we would bring in uh, different team members we would bring in different law enforcement entities sure. um, and have that capability there was a lot of pre-planning there was a lot of engagement yep. um, and really space often was the the limited you know factor of of the challenge yep. um, but we did that for uh, about 10 years um, about every other year, we would put about 500 participants through. Excellent. Yeah, I, lo I love that. And when you can take it to that level and you've got the backing from leadership to go to that level, of course, you know, the funding to support it and the resources, then, uh, you know, I mean, you hear these horror stories, right? And uh, I know we're about to wrap up here, but we hear these horror stories of uh, of these types of exercises not being planned whatsoever right. and being, uh, you know, surprised and school teachers being simulated as being executed, rubber bullets being used. I've read them all and, uh, and they continue every, it's seems like every four to six months there's another story about a, a horror show so so to speak so but it sounds like what you're talking about here is uh, um, a fantastic model and uh, I actually made some notes myself there as you were talking away certainly the psychological um, polling beforehand and interviewing uh, to make sure folks are comfortable with going through that type of training of course is uh, um, imperative in in, uh, in in this day and age and we also had psychologists as safety officers in the hallways, in the corridors of the space so that they could uh, witness what was going on, witness the reactions that people had, and then were there for the debriefings afterwards. So if we identified people that had some very significant psychological consequences that we could respond immediately and also giving them tools to know what to expect after that simulation. Right. You know, what, what they might experience, that they may have recurring thoughts, that they may have difficulty sleeping, um, and really refocusing on, again, not scaring people, sure. but how yep. to empower them to yep. make uh, decisions. Make, make decisions on what they're experiencing, right? Their environment, the, you know, down to the smell, even, you know, down to the sounds that's going on around them. And of course, you know, information that they're receiving. Excellent. So, well, um, that was just fantastic uh, today, William. I, again, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your uh, busy schedule there. Um, do you have any final comments here for um, the, the folks that listen in uh, as well? Um, if they were to 
contact you? What's the best way to do that? Uh, so um, just some, from a final thoughts perspective, um, one, I want to thank you, Rob, for, for the opportunity to be here today. I really appreciate no that. Um, I think for all of our colleagues out there um, in emergency management and mission continuity and crisis management, thank you for what you do. Um, it's, it's not always the easiest uh, profession. It's not always um, the most glamorous profession, um, but we really uh, do or should take some satisfaction in that we're supporting the people that uh, provide all of our mission spaces every day. Um, and without us um, and without some of our focus, uh, certainly that would go rise or, or uh, sideways. Um, from a contact perspective, uh, probably the best way to get in touch with me um, is via cell phone, uh, 717-215-8202, um, or email uh, wdunne at pennstatehealth.psu.edu. Um, and again, happy to uh, be a reference or uh, be a sounding board if anyone uh, needs any assistance. Great. And uh, we'll also add your LinkedIn uh, profile, your public one, uh, into the show notes if folks want to connect with you on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you. Well, again, thank you for your time today, William. Uh, we appreciate it and uh, have a successful uh, remainder of your 2023. Great. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening in. What a great episode. Um, really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, listen in uh, to William today. Um, great episode. I uh, hope everyone else uh, that's listening in, or if you managed to watch any of the videos here, uh, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, have a safe day. Mm-hmm.